Well, I should say on that service end, it's kind of an interesting thing we're seeing because I do think there's a great role for retail to be a connector of various needs, right? Instead of just saying like, okay, well, I sell pet food and, and that's a great example. Can I help put together a whole range of services? I have a pet, right? I'm going to need medicine. I'm going to need to go to the vet. I'm going to need my pet groomed. Some retailers in this space offer those services in the store, but whether you offer them directly or provide a convenient way to help me find what I need and provide me some of the advice, there's a real opportunity there. And it's in some ways, it's one of the ways that digital has really helped the space because it does make it easier to help solve problems, not just deliver a product. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Retail Remix. You may know me by now, Alicia Esposito. Great to have you all joining us today. And I also have a very special guest for this week's episode, our very own editor, Adam Blair. Adam, good to have you in the hot seat today. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Alicia. Glad to join you. And it is a very special occasion. We are a few weeks out now, I guess you could say, from the release of our official Outlook Guide, which is really a landmark piece for retail touch points, has been since I joined, oh my gosh, going on a decade now, which is very freaky. <laughs> um, but I mean, you're the editor, you really spearheaded the effort this year. Why don't you share your take on your experiences putting it together and really the role that this guide plays in setting the stage for our editorial for the year ahead? I'd be happy to. Well, you know, the Outlook Guide has always been a great opportunity to hear from a really wide range of retail experts, people that are working in consulting firms, or this year we even have someone who's the head of a PR firm that's been covering the retail tech industry for literally decades. That tradition was really continued this year because we feel like that's a real strength of it, but what's new is that we're using a hopefully more reader-friendly interactive publishing platform to better showcase these 17 experts' insights, something that you can navigate towards. You can read it start to finish like a, like a novel, or you can skip and find insights from the people that, are, that most interest you. And I really feel like using new technology is particularly appropriate at the cusp of 2020 and 2021 because this was a year when existing retail technologies were tested in ways they literally had never been before. And when a lot of tech that had been in development or waiting in the wings, finally got a green light to move ahead and go into deployment just because of the necessities that were presented by the, the challenges of the year. I know in your conversation with Ken Fenyo of Coresight, he talked a lot about a lot of technologies that he feels like are going to continue strong in 2021 for a wide range of reasons. And that's it's always been a tech heavy industry, but even more so these days. Yeah, I think those are some great points. And yeah, I, I did get a chance to circle back with Ken, have a more detailed conversation around some of the takeaways from his column and the conversations he's been having with not just retail executives, but tech companies as well, because I think you'll likely agree on this. The worlds are coming more closely together. There is more collaboration, more ongoing communication around these trends, what are real life applications. And it seems like retail execs are trying to get more immersed in the tech and in some cases the startup world as well, which is very exciting. I mean, it, it seems like the boundaries are kind of falling down between these organizations in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And like with a lot of things, this is something that had started a couple of years ago with 
retailers not only working more closely with their tech providers, but sometimes investing in or buying them. McDonald's, I think, bought a company that was involved in customer segmentation. Other retailers have have either purchased or made major investments in tech companies, some that had a long-term affiliation with tech, like Kroger, with its own division, others that are very new to it. And I think that's going to continue throughout probably the decade, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's interesting to see the expansion of different use cases. So what I mean by that is when we started to cover high-tech retail or tech-integrated retail, a lot of it, and I guess it still does, has a experience lean to it. Like Rebecca Minkoff's Smart Store always comes to mind for me first because it really showed all of these disparate tech touch points and how they connected to create this really immersive brand experience. But now we're seeing tech conversations go into things like last mile, even business strategy. And I know there were some overarching threads that connected throughout our Outlook Guide this year, right? Absolutely. There definitely were. I mean, one of the biggest, uh, you know, it's not exactly news that there was a huge surge in e-commerce, obviously fueled by kind of the restrictions that the pandemic brought on. But a lot of the people that contributed and that I've been talking to otherwise are saying, this is not a flash in the pan. This is not just a spike that's going to go away. There's going to be a continued strength from this. It kind of makes sense. I mean, more people were buying online, but people were also buying more online. And some of the newer people were people who had never or only rarely bought online previously. So COVID-19 essentially created this enormous trial opportunity for e-commerce retailers. They not only got the chance to show off their selection and their convenience, They also won loyalty simply by being there for customers when brick and mortar retailers were, through no fault of their own, unavailable. And I think that kind of psychological connection that those retailers were able to make probably will go a long way towards inculcating some customer loyalty there. And again, just from the sheer numbers of it, if you've got millions and millions of new people trying e-commerce, some are definitely going to stick with it. So that was one of the big ones. Another key area that kind of reflects this is, what is the future of the brick and mortar store? A lot of physical retailers, especially those that had a major presence in malls, had been having a tough time prior to COVID-19 and the pandemic's limitations on in-person shopping hit them very hard. None of this means the store is going away, but there's likely to be additional shrinkage of retailers' brick and mortar footprints. And Even more interesting, the roles that stores play in omni-channel retail will multiply even as the sheer number of stores likely shrinks. Some are going to be serving as micro-fulfillment centers. They're going to support the new necessity for ship from store distribution. Some are going to be turned into completely dark stores, just supporting online sales, maybe offering a pickup point for buy online, pick up in-store, BOPIS orders. Others could go totally other way. They could be transformed into showrooms and carry no stock at all. On the customer-facing side, once COVID restrictions ease and the vaccinations multiply, stores are going to need to emphasize experiential retail to woo these shoppers back. They're going to need to offer the elements of the shopper journey that just can't be replicated online, touch and smell and taste. They're also going to need to be places where shoppers can get in-person human assistance, including shopping by appointment, which is another trend that uh, became very strong this last year and is likely to grow. So the takeaway I got from all of the commentators talking about this is that retailers are going to need to determine how their particular stores can add to the shopper journey. 
it could be either a place for inspiration and research or as a hyper convenient place to fulfill an order that was placed online. And they're going to need to A, understand that and B, redesign or build them accordingly. So major changes in how stores operate and how they're built. Yeah, definitely some really fascinating stuff. I do want to kind of drill a little bit deeper into your point around the different elements of the store and and how retailers may be rethinking the structure, right? I mean, we used to talk about this largely from a merchandising standpoint, maybe even a design standpoint, but now the added layer is what are the different components that we're going to need to support from a customer experience standpoint? Like, is it live streaming? Is there going to be more space required for in-store pickup or for those more fulfillment-focused opportunities or experiences. And I know Omnichannel Fulfillment you know, did get quite a bit of traction last year, but I feel like now it's really coming to the forefront, not just as a logistics or, or operational imperative, but something that's really driving the customer experience as well, because at a emotional or psychological level, there are gonna be some people that don't feel comfortable going to stores or just want to be able to drive up to the curb. So we're, we're kind of seeing these lines get crossed from a customer experience standpoint around fulfillment specifically that I find to be really fascinating. Oh yeah, there's no question. I mean, I have a feeling a lot of retailers are gonna try and do a little bit of everything in their stores. I mean. That was the original concept behind a department store way back when, when those were the latest cutting edge thing in retail. But now, and this is going to put enormous pressure on store managers, store associates, and and just operations in general. I think you're going to see, like I said, maybe they'll section off an area that's just for the micro fulfillment. Customers won't be allowed there at all. It's going to be a place where the pickers are going to be able to very quickly and very efficiently collect and collate orders and get them ready. Absolutely curbside pickup. I think people find that convenient. And again, it allowed for enormous trial of that, just again, because of the necessity of uh, contactless. And we haven't even touched on that point of sale and other types of interaction are going to be increasingly contactless. And that's another area of technology that really we're going to be exploring in pretty in hopefully in depth in 2021. But yeah, I mean, the way stores are designed and run is likely to be one of the most potentially wrenching changes for retailers, but also some of the most exciting. Yeah, for sure. And like we mentioned a little earlier, I had the chance to catch up with Ken Venyo, who did a column for us in the Outlook Guide. There were some areas I really wanted to drill a little bit deeper into, mainly the strategic planning and collaboration that needs to happen internally to determine what tech investments make the most sense for the business. What does that new customer journey look like? And Adam, you kind of brought this up a little bit earlier. So it was fantastic to get his take because he's so immersed in both sides, the tech side as well as the retail side, how his firm, Corset Research, is helping to facilitate those conversations, which is super exciting. And he even shares his take on which tech may have the most influence or or hold the most weight, regardless of a retailer's size or product category. So with that, Adam, thank you so much for taking the time. Always love getting your take on how these 
experiences, these resources that we create for our community really come to life. So thank you for taking the time out. You're absolutely welcome. I always like uh, talking to you about these things. Yeah, Ditto. I feel like we could go on for hours, but for now, let's We uh, probably get... could, but, but we've got somebody <laughs> even more interesting to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. Ken has seen it all, got, been through it all as a retail exec, as a consultant, a researcher. So with that, let's get into the uh, chat with Ken. Ken, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Alicia. Great to be here. Yeah, and it's great to kind of circle back with you, dig a little bit deeper into some new content you shared with us for our 2021 Outlook Guide, which is an annual report we always do. But of course, it was a little bit different this year, just given all of the events of 2020. So really, my goal is just to kind of dig into some of the findings and insights you had to share, because you talked a lot about tech to watch, which I know is top of mind for a lot of people. So my first question, I guess, is more of like the macro 5,000 foot view trend um, that everyone is talking about. And that's the acceleration towards digital over the past year for obvious reasons. And whether you expect this to evolve or continue going further into 2021, because I feel like while we have continued to talk about the shift to digital Omnichannel is still very much a top of mind thing for a lot of retailers. So how do these two realities, I guess, kind of meld together in the current context? Yeah, I mean, we definitely saw last year, probably, I don't know, two, three years of acceleration in really what had been existing trends with a shift to digital, all crammed into one sort of crazy year on so many levels. But I mean, I think we believe that the trend to digital is going to continue. That wasn't a a blip caused by COVID. It was really just an acceleration. Now, it might slow down a bit this year as we start lapping some of the numbers from last year. So I'm not sure we'll see quite the doubling or tripling of online growth that we saw this year. But I don't think that's a trend we're going to see stop. I think people are beginning to buy more online. We've seen categories like grocery, for example, that had really had pretty low penetration, had a swarm of customers move into it and try it out. While some of those people may go back to the store, we don't really believe. We believe that many will stick with their new habits. And so we do see that. It's not though that the store is gonna go away, not now and, and probably not in the future, although it will likely change. As a matter of fact, in some recent research we did, we're finding that people are beginning to go back to the store Tentatively, uh, I wouldn't say it's a rush, but there are reasons people like shopping. If you think about apparel, people like browsing. They like seeing what's new and trying it on. And there are things like that that are that are harder to do online. And I say we are seeing people looking to go back and have those experiences. But at the same time, I do think the store is going to change. We're seeing in a lot of cases it's being used much more as part of a tightly integrated fulfillment part of a tightly integrated fulfillment network. So if you think about on digital, but the store can play a really important role in providing local delivery and quicker fulfillment options. Uh, and I'm sure as you know, customer expectations about digital and what to expect keep rising. And so that ability to leverage that store or network, truly support what you're doing online is important. I mean, I'd say overall that retail is is about delivering the right products and experience to your consumers. It doesn't really matter is it's in the store and online, and, and that's certainly going to be more true as we move forward. 
Yeah, definitely some great points there, Ken. And I guess the follow-up question to that is, I know we saw a lot of retailers pivot stand-up new experiences largely through that fulfillment lens that you were talking about, whether it be drive-through, curbside, same-day offerings, basically as a quick move to serve customers in the way that they needed at that time. As we look forward, you know, as we start to think about, okay, what trends are going to sustain? What new behaviors do we have to adapt to? What new engagement methods, right, are going to be the best fit for reaching our customers, especially since a lot is still, a lot of the factors are still very volatile, I guess you could say. Like things are still up in the air. Things could still change on a dime. So what can retailers, and I guess even brands that have their own storefronts do in order to ensure continuity? Resilience has been a really big word too, but I guess more so through the lens of, again, ensuring that they're reaching and serving their customers in the best way possible. Any any strategic considerations there? Yeah. So on the resilient front, one big thing we're seeing is a growing number of companies are really looking at bringing manufacturing back to the United States, whether it's called nearshoring. We just did a big webinar on this, and I think someone referred to it as newshoring. In a research report we did in partnership with Blue Yonder, we found that 65% of companies are looking to bring more manufacturing to the States. So On the one hand, that helps on the consumer side because consumers are also interested in buying more made-in-America products. But more importantly for, I guess, resilience, it it does give you more flexibility if things change, right? Because we certainly saw a lot of companies got stuck when product was stuck in Asia and really couldn't get to the States because of disruptions from COVID. And so it doesn't do a lot of good if if you need product here and it's stuck somewhere out of the country. And so that's certainly one trend we're seeing. I think you're seeing things at the store level. I think people are trying to make investments in, let's say, things like contactless, right, so that they are more ready for for whatever changes come over the next months and through the rest of the year and and hopefully not beyond, but possibly beyond, so that it's easier to serve customers without necessarily a high-touch experience. So whether that's self-checkout or whether, as you mentioned, new curbside and other experiences, you know, I do think that there's a growing realization that we have to invest to be flexible in the store so that we can serve customers in a variety of ways. And maybe the last one, I will think there are a lot of investments around the employees. I do think that retailers in particular are trying to figure out how can we get vaccinations for our employees so that we, again, we we can be there to serve our clients, particularly our customers, particularly for retailers in essential industries where they've been on the front lines and providing those services. And I think there's a real need retailers are seeing to make sure we're taking care of those those employees who are really helping us continue to deliver in the face of what's been a really trying period of time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely seeing a lot of headlines from companies like Walgreens, Walmart even, that are trying to best take care of their employees, ensure that they're vaccinated, but also, you know, how does that trickle down into the customer experience? That's definitely an area that, that we're going to be keeping a close eye on because it seems like we've been talking about like, is there a healthcare opportunity in retail? And like, we started to see little blips of that, but I'm wondering if that's going to be a, a key area to watch in the new year. Yeah, we, you know, I think we were talking about it as like the consumerization of health and, and you see it in a bunch of ways. I mean, at sort of an obvious way, you see retailers like Walmart and others putting in clinics, right? Is it, you're going to the store, could that be a place where I'm able to get a range of services, vaccination, other shots, quick tests? We think that could be a really big opportunity in retail. Nutrition 
is another area as people are trying to figure out how to eat healthier. I think there's a real opportunity for, particularly on the grocery food and food and uh, and drug part, to really help consumers think through right. How can I lead a healthier life? Whether that be through different diets or trying different foods, and and it's all enabled. I mean, technology that is really a, an area where technology is is adding so much. If you think about telemedicine, right? So I don't necessarily need to go to the doctor. Even I can I can have an online checkup of sorts and then get medicine, whether it's set, shipped to me or I go pick it up at the pharmacy. We think that's an important trend, and and you do see there's a range of uh, maybe not on the traditional retail, but on the D to C side, right? There's a lot of men's health and women's health, there's a lot of startups who have come up that kind of blend that consumerism, like I want to get whatever the healthcare needs are with the ability to see a doctor who can prescribe that. So we're seeing some blending there between what's traditionally been a wall between the retail end of it and the doctor and the medical end of it, which I think we'll see continue. Yeah. Even Chewy, I think, had that new connecting services. They weren't providing the care personally, but they were like, let's connect our consumers to local vets. I mean, and that in and of itself is a a service for both parties. So definitely some fascinating stuff. Well, I should say on that service end, it's kind of an interesting thing we're seeing because I do think there's a great role for retail to be a connector of various needs, right? Instead of just saying like, okay, well, I sell pet food and, and that's a great example. Can I help put together a whole range of services. I have a pet, right? I'm going to need medicine. I'm going to need to go to the vet. I'm going to need my pet groomed. Some retailers in this space offer those services in the store, but whether you offer them directly or provide a convenient way to help me find what I need and provide me some of the advice, there's a real opportunity there. And it's in some ways, it's one of the ways that digital has really helped the space because it does make it easier to help solve problems, not just deliver a product. Yeah, great point. And I'm really glad that you brought up technology as an enabler, a facilitator, a connector in a lot of ways, whether it be through fulfillment or service, customer engagement, because you did know in your Outlook Guide column that 2020 was a banner year, a critical year, I guess you could even say, for technology investments. What are Corsite's predictions or or viewpoints as far as how the tech sector is going to continue to see momentum? Do you think that we'll continue to see the level of progress that we saw in 2020? You know, I think so. It's interesting. If you go back a number of years, retailers were really not great buyers of technology. I was at Kroger several years ago, and I would get called by VCs a lot who always would tell me that they hated investing in retail technology, mostly because retailers were just terrible buyers, right? They built things in-house or they didn't really invest in what was next. And I really think that's changed over the last several years. I think retailers have really realized they can't sit back and wait. They've seen companies like Amazon and others take share and really drive a lot of the innovation you see in the space. And so we believe it's really a critical part of succeeding to be a technology company and to see yourself as somebody who needs to leverage technology, deliver new experiences, be more efficient in your own operations. It's hard to imagine how you will compete going forward without that. And so we are seeing retailers be a lot more open to partnering partnering with innovative tech companies, whether those be raw startups and they're investing, or whether that be larger companies who are themselves coming out with new tools in AI or whatnot. I think I think the days where you had a monolithic, you know, we have one big vendor and everything we do is with that vendor and that's it, are pretty well gone. And so I think we're seeing a lot more excitement 
We work with a lot of clients who want to run pitch days, right? They want to meet new startups. What are they missing? What are some of the coolest innovations? And we're getting that more and more. As a matter of fact, our founder, Deborah Winesway, got a call from a retailer, I want to say a few weeks ago, to say that he had 90 minutes the next day and he was hoping he could meet a bunch of startups and so on. On short order, we actually got together 14 of the startups we work with and know and did a quick pitch day so that this retailer could could sort of get a sense of what was really innovative and where should they be thinking about for themselves they need to invest. And I, I think that's the attitude you really need to bring if you're going to be able to stay ahead of the trends that we're seeing. That's amazing. And what a great offering an opportunity for the broader organization. I have to ask, Ken, do you find that with this different perspective or approach to technology decision-making, are you seeing different roles being brought into that process, playing different roles in the committee? Like, are you seeing it not just being IT, but marketing's coming in, customer experience coming in? So do you think that that's maybe reinvigorating the process a little bit because we're seeing different strengths and different perspectives come into the fold? Yeah, I think that's a great point. We are seeing new roles. It used to be IT and then everyone was sort of fighting IT to get what you want. I'm, I'm sure I have scars and I'm sure IT team does from when I was at Kroger trying to get some projects through. And it, it, But I do think there's much more of a collaborative attitude. And I know particularly at Kroger in fairness, right, there's, they really evolved the organization to be one of how can we partner to innovate. I think you see roles of like the chief digital officer in a lot of companies now. One thing I've seen a lot in retail is this idea of a chief customer officer. And that role is, I think, one where you have this idea like we need to start with what the customer really wants. How can we serve them better? And then how can I work in the organization, not just with IT, but with other parts, merchandising, marketing, supply chain, to make sure we can really deliver a great experience? I think the retailers are finally realizing that you need to start with the customer and build backwards and not necessarily with the product or the technology we're going to implement, which maybe, maybe if you go back five, maybe 10 years was really the way they thought of the business. It was the products I put on the shelf. We had systems to check people out and, you know, everything else was sort of unnecessary. And I think we've really seen an evolution of that. Yeah, I love that point because you mentioned quite a few different technologies that you thought would be considered to watch in 2021. And I, what struck me is that they really covered the gamut, right? Is everything from live streaming to last mile to prescriptive analytics, different use cases, different functions, right? So I'm sure there's some nuance depending on the category, you know, which types of retailers may see most value from these different tech trends. Are there any that you consider universally sound, you know, have the most opportunity across the board that you think are worth digging into a little bit more today? Sure. All of them have value across all the different retail sectors. I mean, some are, the challenge is something like, let's say, micro-fulfillment, which is one of the ones we flagged, is it certainly is more value at a high-volume business, so grocery or mass versus apparel, where automation has some value, but not as much maybe at the store level like you would have in grocery. If I had to pick out one that's probably the most, could work across the most categories, I would probably say the prescriptive analytics, which is one of the ones we called out. Increasingly, retailers are data companies. One of the things retailers are great at is creating data, data on consumers, on what they buy, on when they buy. The challenge has been most of them haven't done a great job of using that data to really help their business. And in a lot of ways, data is really the new lifeblood of retail. And I think the, the retailers who can put together, put to use new advanced analytic techniques, machine learning, AI, really are going to be the ones who are going to win long term 
almost more than where you invest in technology is how you're able to use data. The thing about prescriptive analytics that's interesting is it takes some of what we've been seeing in trends. So it takes artificial intelligence, which can get a better sense of your data, whether it's structured or unstructured data. So not only what do people buy, but maybe what do they post online? Do they like things that you can really take and make some sense of? Then you can compare it to what maybe the goals I have. Like, what do we expect would happen and what is happening to, to identify gaps? And then the interesting thing is not just to identify the problem, but to even recommend the solution. Maybe that's reordering a product that we're running low on or we predict we're going to run low on. Maybe it's changing staffing levels based on, on what we're seeing in the store in terms of shopping patterns. And so I think that ability to really not just identify where there's opportunity, but to even recommend how to take action has real value. We see that as the next generation of analytics. And so we're definitely seeing it beginning, particularly in things like replenishment. We're seeing it a lot. We're seeing it in things like staffing, but we believe that has pretty wide value across all retail segments. And it can provide the basis for, you know, not just you know, really working across your whole value chain to find ways to improve performance and deliver a better experience for consumers. Yep. Some great points there. And what about business size? I mean, obviously we have a pretty broad audience base, some of them being smaller retailers that really are just trying to find the best way to pivot. Is that recommendation or that particular trend of analytics really still valuable across the board? Or do you think like smaller businesses may need to emphasize gaps in their business, ways to get to the customer faster and in a more intimate way? So I would say analytics generally is valuable across all business size. I think it's going to vary a bit. The smaller you are, the more you're probably going to want a little more automated solution right? We're not going to sit there. You're not going to run advanced analytics. We're not going to hire data scientists if you're a medium-sized or small business. I will say one opportunity of the ones we listed that I think actually is in some ways as valuable for small as the largest company is live streaming. So live streaming is, is a huge business in China. Now, in the U.S., you can kind of think of it as, as a digital version of QVC. So if QVC had on TV, you would have a show, they'd be offering products for sale. Now what you have is a live program on digitally where you're able to add in customer interaction in a way you can't do online, the ability to buy sort of seamlessly within the live stream itself. This is a predicted to be a 300 billion plus business in China this year. And so it's really exploded there as a way for people to buy. In some ways, it's its own new channel. People do this now. Uh, you know, as regular shows that they'll tune into their favorite influencers or others who are offering different products for sale and buy them directly through those streams. And the nice thing about it is that you don't need a lot to make this happen. You could have a iPhone or a, a, you know, a ring light and you can be up in business. And we're seeing the growth across a whole range of platforms, right? So if you Instagram Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, there's applications like Shop Shops or Pop Shop Live, right, that are emerging that are more dedicated to just live streaming. Amazon's been investing this space for Amazon Live. So there's a range of platforms that really all you need is a product and a personality, and you can be up and running and selling and engaging with your consumers in a much more interactive way, also in a way that allows you to do a lot more storytelling. So you can really kind of tell a story about the brand and why you like it and why it's important to you. Or imagine even if you're a founder of a smaller company who wants to talk about why they even got so excited about this product and they developed it. And so we think that's going to really explode in the U.S. over the next few years. And it is one where the smallest retailer can really be as successful as, as even the larger. 
Yeah, totally agree. I find that there are so many opportunities with live streaming. Like you said, you could bring in influencers, you can have your associates or, or top tier shoppers become the influencers in a way. And it's so scalable. There are so many different applications now. So lots of opportunity there for sure. But Ken, I really appreciate you taking the time out to kind of dig deep into some of the great insights you shared with us in our Outlook guide. But before I let you go, you spoke a little bit about how the chief customer officer really digs into the needs of the customer first, and then the organization kind of works backwards from there, right? What's the best experience? What are the right tools and technologies in order to facilitate these experiences, which I think is a great point. Are there any closing thoughts or recommendations to help all of the folks watching right now or listening right now better determine how to research, compare, or, or finalize the tech investments that they should make in the new year? Any strategic questions or points to go through? I would say, I think the most important thing is to really have a vision of how you're going to differentiate yourself, definitely in the near term, but really even more, if you look out two, three, five years even, how are you going to be different, right? And you see some companies investing in different areas, but you can't do everything, right? You can't be everything to everyone and, and no one can afford to completely revamp every aspect of their business. So I do think it's important to understand, right? Am I going to try to find ways to reduce friction in my buying process, right? So I can make it easier and faster for people to buy. And it's gonna be more about the experience when I invest in whether it's live streaming or artificial augmented reality as a way of selling. Am I gonna be much more about my operations? I'm gonna to try to streamline supply chain. I think it's really important for people to have a clear view of where their biggest opportunity is. Maybe it's last mile, right? How do I make it much more efficient to get products to my customers? And then after that, I think you need to really treat innovation as its own function, just like you have IT and you have marketing. You need to think like, we're gonna to need to have a process where we're regularly meeting startups. We're finding out what's new and innovative. We're doing piloting with the companies we think really can help us grow our business. And then we're finding ways to consistently scale those. And I think you see a lot of retailers struggle with that. One, how do I meet the right startups, right? How do I cut through the noise to find them? And there's organizations like ours and others who can help there. But really on the scaling side, a lot of times people maybe will start a pilot, it'll, it'll go okay, but they don't really under, invest to really understand how many, how many to really drive this across the organization, right? How am I going to make this part of how I... I go to business. And that, and that takes real leadership from these chief customer officers, the CEO, the whole team to say, we really need to change how we do business. And we're going to have to make those investments. And we're going to have to learn along the way, because it's rare that you put something in place and immediately it does, it you know, drives a 5x return in your business, right? These things take time to learn. How does I really take advantage of the technology? And how do I make it mine, right? How do I adapt it and, and bring it to market in a way that makes it uniquely uniquely supports my brand and, and my consumers to hopefully gives me some differentiation in the market and help me continue to succeed. Love that, Ken. Some great food for thought and closing takeaways. I, I think it's easy to get very overwhelmed, sure inspired, but also overwhelmed by the sheer volume of, of tools and tech that are out there right now. So breaking that down was super helpful. And thank you again so much for taking the time out. I know it's a busy time for a lot of folks right now. So it was great to catch up and dig a little bit deeper into some of the trends that you talked about in your uh, column. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Alicia. It was great speaking with you. 
Yeah, likewise. And to all of you watching right now, of course, if you have any follow-up questions for Ken, we'd love to make those connections and encourage those conversations. So drop us a line through LinkedIn or of course, Twitter at our touch points. We would love to keep the conversation going. Thanks everyone. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.